good day everyone and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast broadcast from 3CR, your only radio left. Susanna here with you and I'll be joined by other members of my Left After Breakfast team as the program continues. Your favourites for a start. So welcome to regular listeners and indeed to anyone who has just tuned in. Good on you. 3CR In this episode of Left After Breakfast, I will be talking about a group of self-proclaimed apostles who have a plan to invade every sphere of life as we know it. No joke. I'll also talk about the one-day-only CEO of Essendon Football Club. Yes, they're connected. The 2022 Shonky Awards for, yeah, the shonkiest business of the year. The Bagman will continue his harrowing memoirs and Glenn recounts some people's history. So stay tuned. I'd like to start this program today with big congratulations to the ETU National Apprentice of the Year. That's Aisha Paul. She's a fantastic asset to the union. She stood out as a candidate because of her leadership qualities, her uncompromising commitment to union values, and to her trade. And as the winner, she'll be heading to Ireland this month as an apprentice delegate for the Global Power Trade Union Conference. Congrats to you. And congratulations also to runner-up Erin Brokenshire from Western Australia and the shortlisted candidates Leanne Kell, Nicholas Butler, Andrea Byrne and Mary Thatcher. And I also like to say, dear listener, I love to read out the names of these national apprentices, especially when they're young women. How times have changed. More power to them and more power to the ETU. I'd like to play the theme music from Wonder Woman for those fabulous apprentices. And it's unstoppable, of course. I love that scene where she comes screaming from the sky, wreathed in electricity like a lightning bolt. Anyhow, here's Unstoppable. I'll smile on what it takes to fool this down. I'll do it till the sun goes down and all through the night time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'll tell you what you wanna hear. Keep my sunglasses on while I shed a tear. It's never the right time. Yeah, yeah.
3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And let's hear from Glenn on Federal Elections 22. That's 1922. Well, Glenn, how are you? Not too bad for a Melbourne afternoon. It's a bit of a atmospheric phase we're going through. It's always atmospheric, Glenn. True. We've always got atmosphere around us. We have. What about the electoral atmosphere, which comes when it's an election? The electoral atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't talk about it, can we? Well, we we can on a radio program, but you, we're not supposed to talk about it in public, are we? Because there's some um, embargo on it. Well, isn't that that's going to hobnail boots and lace up boots embargoes? Has it? Oh well, I'm showing my age. I'm so sorry. Because there, there are two elections I'm interested in. There'll be uh, the election in May 2022 and the election in December 2022. Oh, the latter one is 1922. 1922. Yeah, well, there's two federal elections 100 years apart. In May 21, 2022, and December 16, 1922, there was parliamentary elections to who holds the reins of power Australia-wide. Right, so you want to tell us about them, these elections from 1922? Well, it's a long way to go. It's, a, it's changed. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Like the Australian Labor Party was around then. And the Liberal Party, National Party, was sort of around, but they sort of called different names. The, uh, 
the Liberals are the Nationalists, or the National Party was the Country Party, and they had another mob working with them, a mob called the, uh, the Liberal Union Party, who I can break away. And um, the other groups also, such as Industrial Labor, Protestant Labor, they actually ran these groups, they didn't get any seats. In 1922? Industrial Labor and Protestant Labor. There was concerns about the power of the Catholics and the ALP. So some produce broke away and started Protestant Labor. The Liberal Union was interesting. They were, um, the Liberal Union MPs, they were from the Nationalist Party, which was the party led by the PM, Billy Hughes. And they didn't like Billy Hughes. And they ran for Parliament as Liberal Union, not as Nationalists. And when they won, they, uh, there was a bit of a coalition formed because the, uh, the Country Party didn't want to be a coalition for Nationalists if Hughes was Prime Minister. And the Liberal Union members said they'd join the Nationalists if Hughes was removed Prime Minister. So they did have a Billy Hughes and they made Prime Minister um, Stanley Bruce. So the Liberal Union elected became yeah. the Nationalists. And they formed a coalition with the Country Party, heard of Billy Hughes, who stayed in Parliament anyway on behalf of the government. Strange? Strange. Uh, sounds a bit weird. That's how it was back in 1922. And it's interesting, the, the first ever MP from the NT was elected. I thought it was H.G. Nelson. The first ever MP? From the Northern Territory. H.G. Nelson was elected as independent. He and him alone paid long afterwards. Now, back in 1922, you can only vote age 21 or over. Yes. Well, 18, very few women could vote in the early days of Australia. Even in Norfolk Island, women voted for 1856. They voted there for the mainland. And in 902, what women aged to one could vote? In 1922, if you were Indigenous, Asian, African, you couldn't vote. So the whites only voted in Australia in 1922. And anyway, the election was won by the Nationalist Party. Labor won more seats, but surprise, surprise, the Nationalists and the Country Party formed the coalition. And they've been there ever since in that coalition? Pretty much so. In the Senate, the Nationalists controlled the Senate. They controlled both houses House of Reps and the Senate. That was 1922, 100 years ago. And it's a, it's a bit different in 2022. I mean, there was no Clive Palmer a century ago, no Greens, no Jackie Lambie. There's Protestant Labor and, good Lord, the Liberal Union. I couldn't vote until I was 21, so it's only recently that law's been changed. The conscripts that you were killed in Vietnam couldn't vote. They could fight and die. That's right, they could die. They were 20 years old, but they couldn't vote. Correct. So I think it was 1972 that the laws changed. In 1922, you had to be white to go to vote. Yeah, you had to be white. If you're white, you're all right. Free, white and 21. Yes, pretty much so. And um, we've come a few miles in sand. Let's have a kick going there while white. But anyway, that's my, um, that's my two bobs worth on your show today. That was a, a bit of a journey way back to the 1922 Australian federal election. Come listen, all kind friends of mine, I want to move a motion To make an Eldorado here, I've got a bonza notion Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day Some very wealthy friends I know declare I am most clever While some may talk for an hour or so, why I can talk forever Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day 
I know the Arbitration Act As a sailor does his riggings So if you want a small advance I'll talk to Justice Higgins Bump me into Parliament Bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament On next election day Oh yes, I am a Labour man and believe in revolution The quickest way to bring them on is talking constitution Bump me into Parliament, bounce me in me bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day To keep the cost of living down, a law I straight would utter A hundred loaves for tray I'd sell and a penny a tonne for butter Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day I have been asked what I would do if ever the enemy came here A regulation I would make to say they shan't remain here Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament on next election day They say the kids are getting scarce I believe there's something in it By extra laws I'd incubate A million kids a minute Bump me into Parliament Bounce me in me bleeding way Bang me into Parliament On next election day I've read my Bible ten times through And wisdom justifies me The man who does not vote for me By Christ he crucifies me Bump me into Parliament Bounce me any bleeding way Bang me into Parliament On next election day Now Sinclair he was fine five quid For singing this here ditty Betsy was his witness there But the booby pulled the kitty Bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. So bump them into Parliament, bounce them any way. Bang them into Parliament, don't let the courts decay. Oh, bump me into Parliament, bounce me any bleeding way. Bang me into Parliament on next election day. Now, that lovely little Australian song was written in 1915, just a few years before the federal elections Glenn was talking about. It was written by Bill Casey, a member of the IWW, Industrial Workers of the World, the Wobblies. Bill later became secretary of the Queensland branch of the Siemens Union of Australia. It's not very well known, this song, except perhaps in trade union circles. Bump me into Parliament. 3CR Sometimes it's easy to forget that Australia is a secular nation. We are a secular state with a constitution which upholds the separation of church and state. It seems easy to overlook this, even though we have removed Morrison from his seat in government. His dictatorial reign is over, but a lot of it is being uncovered 
which is linked with his self-professed devotion to the Pentecostal megachurch. But there are more and more developments in evangelistic supercults, and they're coming out, creeping out from the shadows to confront us. Because we are a secular state, this doesn't mean you can't join any radical cult that you fancy. Of course you can join any radical cult you fancy, and you could still be, for example, a footy club CEO or a Member of Parliament. What it does mean that when your views are out of step with the views of the club, or the organisation, or the society you inhabit, then that club, organisation, state can choose to dispense with your services. And this brings me to the strange case of the short-lived Chief Executive Officer of Essendon Football Club, Andrew Thorburn. He has now hired legal counsel and is pursuing legal action against the club after he was forced to resign. He quit the Bombers barely 24 hours after his appointment following criticism of his role as Chair of Conservative Church City on a Hill. City on a Hill! which had hosted sermons likening abortion rates to the Holocaust and posted some extremely, extremely offensive views on the church's website. Lawyers for Thorburn and for Resident Footy Club have been in negotiations for weeks over the circumstances of his departure. Thorburn's position has hardened in recent times, with him believing the case is of religious discrimination and he wants satisfaction for damage to his reputation. Now, his reputation. Let's just have a look at a few of his career highlights. From 2014 to 2019, he was the CEO of National Australia Bank. This is the National Australia Bank, which extorted hundreds of millions from thousands of people under his watch. National Australia Bank did not stop taking money from dead customers, even after the issue was identified and the other banks had commenced the remediation process. Thorburn received multi-million dollar bonuses for his work in knowingly taking money for services not rendered from thousands of people, both breathing and the dearly departed. While he was the CEO of National Australia Bank, Thorburn joined City on the Hill Evangelical Megachurch, which had already openly condemned homosexuality and abortions. These condemnations, by the way, listener, can still be found on the website. Thorburn was appointed chairman of the board of City on a Hill Now, in 2016, Thorburn branded Labour's push for a royal commission into the finance sector as serious distraction, and he argued that it was unnecessary and potentially damaging to bank confidence. In 2018, of course, he told the Banking Royal Commission, at that time, I just don't think we saw it with the clarity we do now. Yeah, okay, Thorburn. He also tried to pin the blame for the ongoing multi-million dollar scam on a former bank executive 
who had been made redundant. In August this year, he was appointed to the task force to find a new coach and CEO for the Essendon Football Club. In October, he found a new Essendon CEO by appointing himself to the role. He claimed not to hold the same views on homosexuality and abortion as the megachurch City on the Hill did. He's chairman of that church. He resigned as CEO of Essendon Football Club the following day and he tried to blame his resignation on religious discrimination. Here are just some of the views that the City on the Hill has. Lust is a sin. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Practicing homosexuality is a sin. And also on abortion. This is from the website of City on the Hill. Whereas today we look back at sadness and disgust over concentration camps, future generations will look back with sadness at the legal murder of hundreds of thousands of human beings every day through medicine. He now claims he doesn't actually share those particular views of the organisation which he chairs. And he says that while he understands that some of these views are offensive to people and might upset some people, such different views should be respected. Look, sorry, Andrew, different views are okay, but intolerance and bigotry should not be respected. In fact, I'll just repeat what the State Premier says. This bigotry is absolutely appalling. I see that Matthew Guy, oh God, what a joke he is. Now, Matthew Guy, who's currently presiding over a party facing allegations of Pentecostal branch stacking and infiltration, and he came up (laughs) with the following, What, are we now banning people from going to church? And then, in an afterthought, and perhaps in an attempt to be inclusive, added, banning people from going to a synagogue, banning people from going to a mosque. What have we got? This is ridiculous. Not that Premier Andrews has banned anyone from going to churches, synagogues or mosques. But but factual details didn't stop Guy from warming to his subject. Football clubs can hire who they choose. I don't see, if I was the Premier, why I would be telling people who they can hire and fire. Why would you? Not that Andrews told the club to fire Thorburn either, but as we know, Matthew Guy has a problem separating fact from fiction. Peter Dutton also weighed in, demanding Thorburn be reinstated and claiming religious discrimination was afoot. Dutton said... I think there's been a very egregious attack on an individual because of his religious beliefs. Now hold on there one minute, Dutton, please, just one minute. The Essendon Football Club did, however, appear to react to the uproar from his fans and the wider community over Thorburn's appointment. And some of the fans and the wider community may be homosexual or value the right to have an abortion, but all of whom live in 2022, where gay marriage and abortions are legal and where bigotry is definitely not welcome. And it's not welcome in members of parliament and it's not welcome in CEOs of football clubs. 
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. I mentioned earlier that I've been pretty well blown away by the rise and rise of the Pentecostalists, and especially a plan, a mission statement called Seven Mountains Mandate. Let me just tell you quickly about the origins of the Seven Mountains Mandate. It emanates, of course, from where else? That hotbed of Bible-thumping stupidity, USA. It started in 1975 when God delivered a message to missionary movement leader Lauren Cunningham and at the same time God delivered that message to the Campus Crusade for Christ founder Bill Bright and also at the very same time to televangelist Francis Schaeffer. Yes, to the three of them all at once. It's a miracle. But the message was that they had to invade the seven spheres. Ah, the seven spheres. I told you it's like a bad novel. This idea was resurrected, no pun intended, it was resurrected in 2000 when Cunningham met with what he called the brilliant strategist, futurist and compelling communicator, Mr Lance Waldner. And he told Lance about his vision of 25 years earlier. Now this prophetic Waldner, a 63-year-old business consultant in Dallas, with, get this one, with a doctorate in ministry, with a specialisation in marketplace. A doctorate in ministry, with a specialisation in marketplace, from the Phoenix University of Theology. Lance immediately saw the idea's potential and he began promoting seminars and training courses on the theory as a template for warfare for the new century. That's his words, a template for warfare for the new century. We have to place this seven mountain mandate in the context of its origins in charismatic Pentecostalism. And that's the fastest growing religion around the world. It's estimated that of the world's two billion Christians, one quarter are now Pentecostal. And that figure has grown from 6% in 1990. Pentecostalism came to life in 1906 with the preacher William J. Seymour Street Revival in Los Angeles. It was the culmination of a new form of religious expression from the 19th century. It's named for the miracle of Pentecost when, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and gave them tongues of fire. Yes, tongues of fire, to convert foreigners by preaching in their languages. Its focus on healing and the miraculous saw it for a long time as a poor people's religion before its second wave charismatic movement in the 1960s pulled in the New Ages and some mainline Protestants with its focus on believers' direct experience with God through the Holy Spirit. Today, we're in the third wave, and this is usually called neo-charismatic Pentecostalism. Yeah, 
a wave which focuses on the roles of apostles and prophets. Now all this might sound absolutely stupid to you, but politically it looks very much like a right-wing wave of populism that's heating up the planet. Culturally, it's something between a music festival and a self-help seminar. But of course, it still takes plenty of its authority from selective reading of the Bible. They've got one line that they really like. It's from Isaiah, a prophet, which says, let me read it to you. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And the mission of today's apostles is to set people free from torment and disease, to destroy the works of darkness. Prosperity is just one area in which the Lord helps those who help themselves. When you invoke the presence of evil forces all around us, this also serves a purpose in a culture of signs and wonders and thick metaphors. If demonic spirits are descending on society like some nasty fog, then the peak of the mountain is the one thing that rises above them. And of course, those on top of the peaks, like these prophets, are able to look down on our envelopment in the demonic fog, and they call upon our minds, our bodies, our spirits, and our wallets to act. This is all hardcore Christian dominionism. The belief that God has called conservative Christians to exercise authority over all of us by taking control of cultural and political institutions. To the true believers, they must prepare God's kingdom for his arrival to rule. They want to use the seven mountain mandate to reshape the world ahead of the end times. So, these followers of neo-charismatic Pentecostalism are preparing for the end times, for the end of the bloody world. We had a Prime Minister sitting up there in Canberra who believed the end of the world is coming, who I assume still believes the end of the world is coming. The end is nigh, the end is nigh. But no, these people don't want you to repent They want you to open your wallet and help them in their God-given ambition of prosperity. Prosperity beyond the realms of greed.
No, these neo-charismatic Pentecostalist prophets and apostles are not superstitious. They attract superstitious people. They con superstitious people. They scam superstitious people. Because what they want is the money. 3CR I see that the Shonky Awards have been handed out. You know the Shonky Awards, they're put out by the advocacy group Choice and it names and shames brands that it says have failed to give Australian consumers a fair deal. I always look forward to the Shonky Awards to see who's won it. Well, this year the biggest brand to pick up a Shonky Award is Qantas. And this is because of its controversial flight credit scheme, months of lost luggage, long call wait times and cancelled flights. The Choice Chief Executive Alan Kirkland said that Qantas appeared to have gone deliberately out of its way to earn the award. He said Qantas calls itself the spirit of Australia, but a choice they believe the spirit of disappointment is more appropriate. Qantas' flight credit scheme is currently being investigated by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission because it's shonky. The carrier makes it difficult and confusing for their customers to use flight credits for cancelled travel. They force people to spend extra money and put limits on available flights. Now, this is the third time that Qantas has received the unenviable title of Shonky Awards winner. Now, other Shonky Awards winners for 2022 went to VetPay, Steggles, Ziga Digital Cookware and Online Forest Bluemix. The Choice Consumer Advocacy was overwhelmed by complaints about the online florist delivery service Bluemix. When you look at them, they're advertising Google search terms to deliver same day to country towns all across Australia, undercutting local country florists. But when people ordered, Bluemix took the money but couldn't deliver. In other cases, they turned up late so late that they plants were decomposed. Well, don't order your flowers online, unless it's from someone in your hometown. VetPay is a fast loan financial product that markets itself as affordable to pet owners who need to pay a vet bill. But actually the company charges an interest rate of 18.4%, plus $2.50 on every repayment, and a $49 annual account keeping fee. Steggles, the poultry processor, earned a Shonky Award for marketing a product as boosted with veggies. They only contained small amounts. It was found that the nuggets advertised as boosted with veggies contained 11 grams of potato and 3 grams of cauliflower per 100 gram serve. Now we have Ziga Digital Cookware. That's a self-cooking smart pot that doesn't actually cook. When Choice tested the Ziga digital pot using one of the brand's own recipes, the meat was only partially cooked. Now this year, this is the 17th year that the Shonky Awards have been in, 
and hopefully, listener, it'd be nice to have a day when these awards didn't have to be held. We certainly need stronger consumer laws in this country and a ban on unfair trading practices and a punishment for unfair trading practices. And it's time to hear from the bagman, the oh-so-elusive bagman, with, as I've mentioned earlier, his harrowing memoirs. 3CR Good morning, Susan, and good morning to all your listeners. Now, before we get on to the uh, history segment of this morning's program, I want to make a couple of comments. After all the media comments, assuming I'm a pro-Russian communist hack without a clear mind to see through the biased media reports, Let me state something. I have been a member of the International Federation of Journalists for over 20 years and a member of my appropriate union here in Victoria, the Media Alliance, for 40. Now, the simple fact is I don't trust the media. I don't trust the commentary that we're getting about the Ukrainian war. It seems to be only one-sided. Now, my reason for that thinking is think Murdoch, think Sky, think Alan Jones, Bolt, Credlin, and people have the gall to question me because I want a free and unbiased media that reports freely and honestly about a war that is killing people on both sides. But you only hear of one. Think of people like Julia Assange before you make uninformed comments you read in the press that you normally say, they print lies anyway. Where did you get your news today, I ask? The Herald Sun? The Harvey Norman catalogue? Or Sky? Two sides in war, comrades, remember this. Uh, And there should only be one side in a free media. And that's what we're lacking at the moment. Now, news from uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth. I'm in my 70s. I've supported the Labour movement and the Labour Party from the... uh, Party... I'm sounding like a politician from the age of 15. However, I will not be party to another fawning display of royal tokenism that flies in the face of the original inhabitants of this country. Mr Andrews and your members of Parliament, I don't wish for you to see this as a threat, but as a reality. I will never vote for your party again while you treat our First Nations people with such disdain by renaming the Maroondah Hospital after the recently deceased Queen Elizabeth II. Has your government, Mr Andrews, never heard of the Royal Children's? The Royal Melbourne? The Royal Women's Hospital? To name just a few in this in this city, no, Dan, we will not need and we do not need another cultural insult 
by a party that claims to support free conciliation and the voices from the heart, yet wishes to further continue the remainders of past colonialisation by such insensitive action. As part of my history segment on Radio 3CR, the podcast on Susan Duffy's very popular radio program, which you're listening to left after breakfast every Friday morning at 9 o'clock. Now, I don't have to tell you how to tune in to 3CR because you're already listening. The call sign of the station is 8.55 on the AM dial and it's just next door to the, uh, to the ABC. So you can't miss it. Anyway, I finally left the liquor trade union, leaving all the campaigns behind. The brewery strikes at Christmas, topless female workers, celebrity chefs wage theft, and the long-running campaign against McDonald's, which finally ended with them suing me and David Grove and others for defamation and libel to the tune of free $180,000 back in 1982. $380,000 in 1982. Can you imagine that? A, a, a possible king's ransom. But I'm happy to report that I didn't get a cent um, from uh, me and David for writing a book called Rip Off Ronald, exposing the exploitation of young workers and devastating the environment. So anyway, I was off to the Food Preservers Union under the leadership of Tom Ryan and Gail Cotton. Now there's two names that you should remember in the history of the trade union movement. And it was soon to become notorious as the most militant union in the country for opposing the prices and incomes accord in the coming years. With only about 7,000 members, the talk about a union fighting above its weight was not an idle boast. This union became famous for its direct involvement with its members. Unlike a lot of unions these days, they played a significant role in improving wages and conditions in the industries they work. The food preserving industry was as diverse as my previous employment, but I was happy to make the move from one progressive organisation to another. Now, this union had gained a fierce reputation for its solidarity with its members and stood side by side with them on many picket lines over the coming years. The most famous one lasted for 26 weeks at Rosella in 1985, when the members opposed the prices and incomes accord. But let's dissect that victory in the coming weeks. And I should remind people here, it was the members who opposed the prices and incomes accord, and it was supported by the union, but it was a member's final decision. Anyway, within three months, I was off to Bulgaria to represent Australian workers in the, in the food industry. But there's a real story about I, how I got chosen in the first place and how I was to get behind the Iron Curtain 
in the Soviet Union during the Cold War without alerting the government in a classic story in itself. Now, there were two major union organisations in the world, one representing workers in Europe and the Eastern Bloc countries, the other, the Western workers in the other part. The World Federation of Trade Unions was a communist-inspired organisation of which the foodies was affiliated. But to make matters worse, they had previously been affiliated to the ICFTU, the International Federation of Trade Unions. Before my foray behind the Iron Curtain, we were given an ultimatum, resign from the communist-inspired organisation or risk expulsion from the other. Fortunately, the union chose expulsion from the CIA-influenced organisation of which Australia's ACTU still remains a member. But to the nitty-gritty of the transport to foreign climes, now they are more surrounded in conspiracy theories relevant to the world according to Rowan Dean on the Sky Channel. How to get behind the Iron Curtain without the government becoming aware and being branded a pinko commie sympathiser? Well, easy. Book a flight to Singapore with the appropriate visas. Stay in Singapore for a day. Visit the Soviet Embassy the next day. Get another visa. Go straight to the international airport. Wait an hour or so and jump on the next available flight to Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, aboard the official Soviet carrier Aeroflot. I would use this method of transportation on many many occasions using the same subterfuge while visiting the then Soviet. Of course there were drawbacks of flying Aeroflot. No matter what meal was served, It was chicken for breakfast, chicken for lunch, and believe it or not, chicken for dinner. It wasn't long before I renamed Aeroflot as Chicken Flot. I still do. Anyway, it was to be my first foray into international trade union relations with more to come. I addressed the Trade Union International of the WFTU in Sofia, and visited many workplaces and collective farms, as they were called in those days. It's important to have an exchange of ideas between workers in different countries. It's more important to learn different systems of work practices, ideas, that, if if worthwhile, can be adopted into Australian industry. But there were more mountains to climb, more international relations and more victories for a union that punched above its weight. More importantly, more political leaderships to be formed in this country. Ah, but wait for the next exciting episode. Next episode, a visit to Moscow. But unlike the American basketball, poor old Brittany Grimer serving 10 years in jail... Believe it or not, I was innocently caught carrying a small amount of marijuana. Marijuana. 
through uh, Moscow Airport in 1983. But the lesson to be learned here is that it always pays to be in the union. Now, Susan, I'll go out in the same old way. I know we can't do it the same way that we used to do it. Dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Okay, everyone, that's it for this episode of Left After Breakfast. Thanks for your company. Thanks for the ride. See you same time, same place next week. And until then, cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast.